Hello and welcome to Plot Chris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about The Heiress Hunt by Joanna Shoup. This book just came out in 2021 and is the first book in the Fifth Avenue Rebels series. And we did receive a complimentary copy of this book from McAlley. Uh, this is Lane's first Joanna Shoup. This is not my first Joanna Shoup. We want you to keep that in mind as we're going forward with this episode. I have a hunch it will be my only Joanna Shoup. <laughs> we'll see. Unless Meg makes me. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Because <laughs> I would have said, oh, what was the series that all of them are named after reality TV for no reason, even though clearly they all should have been named after Shakespearean plays? Oh, the Duke Dynasty series by Sabrina Jeffries, yeah. Yeah, because I would have said I never wanted to read Sabrina Jeffries, and then Meg was like, no, you're reading old school good Sabrina Jeffries, and I was like, you're right, this series is just garbage, but she's okay. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can say, I don't think there's any old school Joanna Shoot because she's a relatively uh, recent author on the scene, so I don't know, I might I might pick one, just one, to, to see if you like it. But, all right, what is this book about? Let's read the jacket. Is it too late? Knickerbocker scoundrel Harrison Archer returns to New York to discover that his deceased father has bankrupted his estranged family. To save them from ruin, he's forced to quickly find and marry an heiress. For a matchmaker, Harrison turns to the one woman he wishes he could marry, his childhood friend and true love, Maddie, who once broke his heart and is now engaged to a duke. For true love? When her best friend Harrison left for Paris without a word, Maddie Webster took refuge in her infatuation with tennis. Now Harrison is back and needs her help in finding a bride. Begrudgingly, Maddie arranges a house party in Newport with a guest list of eligible heiresses. But watching Harrison flirt with potential brides is more than she can bear. When Harrison and Maddie reunite, the passion between them ignites. But with their marriages to others looming, time is running out. Is their fate inescapable? Or can love set them free? This is a trash jacket that I had not seen prior to our review. I didn't like this book, but this jacket does not do it justice. This Isn't this jacket awful? It's terrible. Okay, so the entire paragraph about him is just false. Everything. Everything. That's like his cover story. But it's not. He doesn't return from New York to discover that his deceased father had bankrupted the family. No, that's the he knew that he came back. Yeah. He came back to get revenge. Yes. Because of all of that. Maddie is not reluctant because to help Harrison find a bride at first because she wants him. She's reluctant because she's got tennis nationals coming up. Yes. And like he never has a marriage to others looming. No. He sure does. Anyway, and this whole jack book jacket does not get into the actual conflict, which is that he is hiding from her. The fact that he's been in love with her forever the fact that he is trying to get revenge on his family and all the stuff he does after they're married involving his conflict with his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also it says like, she took refuge in her infatuation with tennis. It's like really downplaying the fact that she is a professional tennis player, basically, you know? Who, who put off dating, romance, finding a husband, all of that for her tennis career. 
Yeah, so the the whole the jacket is crummy. Her neither character is adequately described or accurately described. The conflict is not described, and it doesn't get the spirit of the book correct. Um, I will say for our random number, we we only generated a number of thirteen. So I don't know how much we can improve on this, but we tried. Meg, what was your 13-word summary? Here it is. Maddie's got a killer competitive instinct, but Harrison's motivated to hold at love. Okay, so first of all, Meg got a tennis pun in. I caught that. Are you impressed, Meg? I'm so proud uh, of myself and of you. (laughs) I think you did a better job than the jacket, even in only 13 words, because I think you got Maddie and Harrison's characters more correct than the book did. You know, thank you. I appreciate that, Lane. She oh, is but, competitive to a dangerous point. Oh, yeah. And he is putting his whole life on hold to try to win her back. Mm-hmm. Or over for the first time. So um, you get more points than the jacket did. Thanks, Lane. Um, what's what's yours? What's your summary? Prodigal son returns for revenge on his family and his best friend's heart. I mean, you also did very well. You have a nice pissy summary, so I like it. Thank you. Um, notice how neither of us misrepresented him. Nope. We did not. So, Meg, what is the central trope of this book? The central trope, childhood friends to lovers. And that part was, like, fine. Yeah, that was fine. I actually liked, I liked it. Um, I liked the fact that they were friends as kids, and then I thought, I thought he, well, okay, I had, I had some issues with Harrison, basically, throughout the entire book, mm-hmm. so I had some issues with his actions back then, but they were more understandable than his, his current actions in the book. I didn't love the way it was set up narratively with the mm-hmm. random flashbacks to yeah. their childhood. Like, there's one section where it starts a chapter and, like, the date that it, the, and the place of where the events are occurring happen. But then there's mm-hmm. another place where he's reflecting on their childhood and it flashes back from him as an adult, same as a child, with no visible change in the text. Right. I just, I didn't love the way the flashbacks were handled in generally. And I don't understand why an editor didn't tell her to consistently treat the flashbacks in the same way. Yeah, I mean, we did get an advanced reader copy, so it's possible that this this could change in the final text. Um, that said, it was jarring for us. Yeah, and that said, I didn't love the way the flashbacks were incorporated into the text, regardless of that inconsistency. Yeah. Uh, and then, as you heard in the jacket and our summaries, he is a pining hero. So he has been holding a torch for Maddie forever, since he was... 15 years old. Yeah, she's the only girl he's ever loved. But so obviously when she broke his heart and he had to run away, he sowed all his wild oats and learned things from the French girls. <laughs> God, yep, he sure did. And it Fucking was published, hate all those tropes. All those published tropes. in like all the papers too. So Yeah, so she got to read about everything. <laughs> and then I know you love this next trove lane. Oh, yeah, so um, he decides that the way to 
win her back is to get her to throw him a house party to mm-hmm. find him a spouse. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem with this several times over. One, I don't understand why this was his plan. I, I don't understand I don't. why a house party with all of her friends is a better plan than just the two of them going up to Newport together. Yeah, I mean, the, I guess the question is, would would she have gone with him? He does. She doesn't have to go with him. He can go stay in his family house up the road. I know, but was I don't think she was in. She wasn't. She wasn't there. She was in New York, pra, um, preparing for nationals. But her tennis coach was going up to Newport too. Anyway, I don't care. The point is, I don't understand in the narrative why why this was his option and why this was his immediate thought. Okay, it's I'm gonna completely be, unjustified. I'm going to be honest with you, Lane. I never understand this trope. That's fair. I don't think Whenever I do either. it's used, I don't understand it. But second of all, I think the fact that she has invited her friends, not just random eligible women, but specifically that he's putting her in like a social situation with her neck on the line. Mm-hmm. And two, requested this of her while she is training for the most important thing in her life, her tennis career. Makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess I understand like forced proximity house party thing, but that's the only thing. Like, Right, but the rest of think- it. Don't you think it would have been nicer if instead of a house party, he had her tennis coach was going somewhere and he was like, I'll help you prepare. I'll like help play tennis with you or something. Yeah. But, or even if you want to keep this bullshit set up, find a wife story, have her already throwing this party as her last social event before she goes into training yeah. and have him not intentionally deceive her. Right. Not have it be a party with the explicit intention of finding him a bride at the outset. Yes. But she, she, like, all she knows is he's back and his family's made these ridiculous demands. And he doesn't want to tell her about the real reason he's back to undermine them. So she starts thinking she's helping by trying to set him up with people. Yeah. Like, it would have been so easy to make a couple of, like, tweaks. Yeah. So that this didn't become him putting this massive imposition on her without any care or consideration for her feelings, in addition to being a very poorly laid out plan. And lying to her the whole time. And lying to her the whole time, exactly. Yeah. I'm just saying, we just rewrote this in about a three minute break one. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> so there are some, there, there's a meeting between Harrison and Maddie where they are overheard in the garden. Well, and the whole impetus of his flight was he overhears her in the garden. True. Insulting him the night he plans to tell her. That too, yes. He, he so overhears, I think, yeah. So he, it wasn't for his ears. It wasn't meant to hear. She says something cutting. It's it's very reminiscent to me in terms of the level of meanness of what Penelope hears Colin say about her. Yeah, I would say it's 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 pretty similar, although there's no other parallels. There's yeah. no there's no I comparing this book to romancing Mr. Bridgerton is unjustified, but in terms of the level of upset that Harrison is and the level of mean 
Like, Colin wasn't being mean. No, he wasn't being mean. He just didn't think he, he wouldn't have said that if he had known she could overhear. Well, and I think it's the same it's here, probably. similar with Maddie. Like, it wasn't mean. It was, he's a great guy. You should totally go out with him. Maddie, aren't you interested? Oh, God, never. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, this is a case of everyone knows about his feelings but her. And which they all spend the whole book calling them both out on. Yes, which I I can love. I can I can love that trope, you know. But well, well done. We, yeah. <laughs> we will leave you listeners to infer. Um uh there is a love triangle sort of i mean look no true romance novel ever has a love triangle because you right. know who the hero and the heroine are it's not like it's heroine's pov and she's choosing between two men right but in this case she's being actively courted by a duke who's in new york looking for an heiress bride yeah and his whole goal is to stop her engagement with him from happening yeah, and uh, I will say I I liked how I I did like how he was at least trying to convince her to be with him because of how compatible they were and her goals. Mm-hmm. That is until he trope ruins her and they're forced to marry. Yeah, you know I I don't know I just it's it's disheartening some often it's disheartening when the the woman's agency is taken from her you know this it was really setting up to be a you know what you're right I think you and I are more compatible um but instead he takes her choice away from her and I wouldn't have minded it as much if he had any compassion for her in the situation like you know, if he said, Maddie, I'm not going to pretend to be disappointed I have to marry you, but this certainly isn't how I wanted it to happen. You know, I never wanted your choice to be taken from you. That said, if you'll have me. Right. And, like, let her think through all the things he said about the consequences for her life if she chooses to reject him. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you know she's not choosing him because she loves him, she's choosing him for practical reasons, let him do the right thing. Right. Yeah. Instead, he comes off as a real overbearing jerk ass. Well, it's it's very, you know, it's very much he knows what he wants and he'll do whatever he whatever it takes to get it, which I I do understand the attraction of that. But. Yeah, but I still wish he'd been a little bit less possessive of her. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I agree. And like, that was a problem through the whole text. And that was a conflict in the plot but I don't think the author fully grasped just how possessive and nightmare she made him yeah uh, he's the black sheep of the family obviously yes obviously Who, so when he was kicked out of his family made all of his own money in the gambling hells <laughs> in, Mon- what, in Monte Carlo right uh, yeah, in France, they, they just in Paris. I don't think they specified Monte Carlo. Okay, sorry, sorry. In my mind, I, I could be wrong, but I didn't <laughs> think they did. But um, and of course, in an homage to the Notebook, <laughs> he 
he buys her her dream home. This was a pretty cool house, though. I mean, in that it had a tennis court, Meg. I know. That's, like, really cool. <laughs> Okay, so um, can you tell that I really like tennis? I like tennis a lot. I like watching it. I like playing it. I am not a professional or even much of an amateur, to be honest. <laughs> but I do really like tennis. Um, Lane's not a huge tennis fan, though. I mean, I like sports. Yeah. Tennis falls into that, but I certainly, beyond honestly watching, like, the U.S. Open and Wimbledon and the Australian Open, like, final match mm-hmm. once a year, I don't pay much attention to it. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. I was really, I, I was really intrigued by Maddie being a tennis player. So, I was really into that part. So, I will say, I think the book benefited from me, I gave it a little bit of extra points just because I, I really liked the tennis parts. Yeah, Meg rounds, up, Meg rounds up on tennis in the say I round up on same way I round up on baseball. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> anyway. Totally fair. Totally. So, I, I just want to let you know up front that I do give this book extra points. So. Um, so I gave this book in my mind negative points. <laughs> Lane um, did not like this book at all. I found this to be such a chore to read. Oftentimes, you guys know when we read books I don't like on the podcast, I at least can laugh at them. Right. Like, I don't like them because the plot went haywire and no one was acting consistently. I just thought this was badly written. <laughs> like, the first four chapters are exposition I feel like everything was tell, don't show. All of the characters, hero, heroine, supporting cast, I feel like were really wooden. Like, we talk a lot about the mothers in romance novels who are marriage-minded mamas who, mm-hmm. like, still manage to have depth. And her mother, in spite of the fact that we're told she's a sympathetic character, is just really annoying. Yeah. About Maddie getting married, like, I, no one, we were told a lot of things about character that their behavior contradicted, and no one, I felt like, had any actual depth development or a distinct voice. So I actually found this a real chore to read. Yeah, I, I did not, I didn't find it a chore to read. I, I it was a quick read, um, and I don't, I wouldn't have put it down or anything like that. Um, I do have a question. So this is a question for you listeners, because Lane... This, again, this is her first Joanna Shoop, but doesn't it seem like all Joanna Shoop heroes just want revenge? Like that's their driving force is revenge. They want revenge on someone. So Harrison comes back. Um, his family tells him to come back because his father dies. And they're like, we need you to come back and, and help us get money, basically. And he's like, this is awesome. I have been spending my time in Paris earning money, just biding my time so that I can basically ruin my family members financially, right? Mm-hmm. I have a question about that, but keep going. Okay. So he gets back, and his family's like, hey, the way – so his family thinks he is just a – he's just been gambling his whole three years in France, but actually he's been learning business stuff. <laughs> and, and quickly become, like, the world's youngest millionaire who doesn't have a company of their own. Right. So – they're like, look, the way you can help us is by marrying an heiress. And that's when he discovers that Maddie is still unmarried. He hasn't, like, written a note to her in three years. 
He actually hasn't even talked to her friends. He doesn't seem to be up on society gossip or like read the, the society pages about marriages. He doesn't know that she's not married. But when he finds out she's not married, he's like, this is awesome. I'm going to get revenge on my family and I'm going to get the woman I love. Uh, and it's going to be great, basically. Mm-hmm. And marrying Maddie is not only awesome because he gets to marry Maddie, which he wants to do, but by marrying her, he'll give his family a glimmer of hope that he will then pull the rug out from underneath them and be like, no, sorry. So Harrison's father was like a bad dude. Yeah. Copyright. And (laughs) he died before the events of this text. Don't get me wrong. His mother and brother are not presented as like nice people. But I also didn't quite understand why they were both the objects of such vitriol from him. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, being told you have to marry a heiress sucks. And, you know, not contacting while he was in Paris sucks. And, like, you find out at the end the brother at least had some knowledge of what a bad guy the father was. But on the whole, like, his mother was married to a philandering jerk ass who would have put her in the poorhouse. And his brother, with some exceptions that I thought, frankly, were very bizarre honestly seemed like just any other shit older brother. (laughs) And then the times he deviated from that were so extreme. It was like, remember when he tried to drown that kid and blamed you? It was like, wait, (laughs) what? Like, that's that's not just like he's a jerk-ass. That's like, he might be a serial killer. He's a psychopath, yeah. Yeah. So it was just like, I didn't really understand what... It would have been one thing if his motivation was like, I always wanted the company. I always had a head for business. I was always looked over and I want the company more than he wanted to screw over his mom and brother. Yeah. But But like to be solely motivated by like making them suffer. I was like, honestly, I don't really get it. Like they're not, they're shit relatives. I'm like, they were mean to him, but the person he really should have wanted revenge on was his dead dad. Yeah. It's it's just a very Joanna Shoup thing, I will say, Lane. Um, not uh, maybe not every single one of her heroes wants revenge, but I would say like a, a non negligible majority <laughs> do. I'm so. fine with a revenge plot, but at least make me understand why what happened to you was so grave that revenge can be your whole identity. Yeah. And then, and this book falls short of that. Yeah. So for me, I, I guess I I'm not super into the revenge thing, but I I don't hate it. Uh, I didn't have the same issues Lane did. I was like, okay, if he hates his mom and brother, they must be bad people. Whatever, you know. I was like, fine, <laughs> you know. I was like, okay. But what really got me is how he feels like he has to trick Maddie into marrying him. Yep. All she knows is that her best friend from forever goes to Paris and never writes to her. She doesn't know that he overheard her. What she said wasn't even that mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and he he just leaves town for no reason, doesn't tell anyone what's going on, which, you know, we understand now is because his, his family kicked him out and made him leave. But they didn't they didn't make him not write letters to Maddie for three whole years. Or any of their other friends. Yeah, he basically wasn't in contact with anyone. He was all 
business and mistresses. <laughs> business and mistress. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty awful to her, and he doesn't ever try to like get in Maddie's head and think about what she put him through. Yeah. Or he put her through, sorry. So it's all about like getting this woman who should have been his. Yeah. So for me, the the roughest part of this book is that he just the entire book he is lying to her so I could forgive him because I can forgive a fortune hunter you know I could forgive him for doing what he did to get um to get her to marry him because you know it with a guy like loves you that much <laughs> right like <laughs> whatever <Sure. laughs> um but after they get married she literally makes one request of him, only one. And that request is, just tell me the truth about everything else going forward. Because he does come clean, you know, like I've loved you for years and blah, blah, blah. Like they could have dragged that conflict out for the entire book. The house party was fake. I just right. wanted an excuse to be close to you that you wouldn't right. find suspicious. Yeah. So he comes clean about that and she forgives him and she's like, the one thing that I ask of you is that you don't keep things from me anymore. And he's like, I promise, I promise. And like, you know, if this was a movie, they would like <laughs> camera switch to the back, focus in on his crossed fingers behind his back <laughs> because he lies about everything, everything lane. Yep. And like Maddie consent, she's very consistent she asks for what she wants. She verbalizes what she wants. And he says, okay, I'll do this for you. And he doesn't. That's what got me about this book. I think what drove me the most crazy about that was every time he promises not to lie to her, this sentence is exactly the same. Yeah. And even in his final, I promise I will not lie to you again. Yeah. which you're supposed to believe he kept based on the epilogue, it's worded exactly the same way as he does the previous two times. Yeah. Yeah. So It was, uh, it was bad. I was frustrated. Uh, he definitely had to do a little more groveling, Yeah. in my opinion, than he does in this book. So. Which, basically, the only groveling he does is for trying to, like, apologizing for trying to solve problems with sex and hiring a bodyguard for her. Mm -hmm. It was very weird. Yeah. Um, that said, I really liked the tennis. I really liked it a lot. In the epilogue, I I'm hoping that this gets changed for the, the final book. So I don't even know if we should bring it up here. But I will say there were some issues with the rules of tennis. In, in women's tennis, it's a you, you need to win two out of three sets, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in the, in the epilogue, she wins two sets. So she loses the first set. She wins the second set. She wins the third set. And I was like, awesome, she won the tournament. Nope, they went on to have a fourth set. And I was like, no, you don't, like, there's no fourth set. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you just have to win two in women's tennis. I I swear to God, you guys, I was like, am I, did the rules of tennis change? I like went online. I like searched mm -hmm. the rules of tennis. No, women have never had to play five set matches. It's always been three sets max for women. 
Well, and the other thing is she loses an earlier competition. They said she won the first set, but the second set got started and she never recovered and she lost. Yeah. So, and I get that they could have been implying she lost the second and the third set. Right. But given the way the sentence was structured, to me, it read like, okay, so after the second set, it was a 1-1 tie. How did she lose? Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a little confusing. So I, I was really into the fact that she was into tennis and her practice sessions were very um, uh, well done. And I thought were really good. And then the way she played, it, it was described as being very modern and aggressive. And I thought that was really cool too. Mm-hmm. Um, just some, just some issues with the game set match play. <laughs> um, I don't blame you. I don't, like I said, I don't know enough about tennis to get into the nitty gritty with you here, mm-hmm. but even as somebody who is only like mildly aware yeah. of the sport, it stuck out to me as being poorly described from yeah. a logistic standpoint. Yeah. Um, the bullshit ending reminded me of Philadelphia story. No, which bullshit ending are you talking about? The whole thing. Okay, okay. So, have you seen Philadelphia Story, or at least recently enough so that you, you remember to, it? You need to tell me about it. Okay, I watched it over the holidays for the first time, actually, and it's considered, like, one of the best movies ever. Uh-huh. And it's Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart. Uh-huh. And Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant get divorced in, like, the first scene of the movie. Okay. And then it flashes forward two years, and she's marrying another guy. Okay. And then Jimmy Stewart comes to her wedding, this other guy, as a reporter. Okay. And unbeknownst to everyone, he only got the invitation to the wedding as a reporter to do this expose because Cary Grant not works for the same paper. Oh. And called in a paper. And it's called The Philadelphia Story because Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn are Philadelphia High Society. Right. Anyway, the night before her wedding, she and Jimmy Stewart get drunk and kiss. Okay. So the morning of her wedding, this is spoiling a movie from the early 1940s, if anyone cares. The morning of her wedding, the groom basically leaves her because he's like, what the hell happened last night? You're not the woman I thought you were. So then Jimmy Stewart proposes, but... One of the female guests that had come with Jimmy Stewart, who had become friendly with Catherine Hepburn, is in love with Jimmy Stewart. So she watches Jimmy Stewart propose, and she's like, oh, my God, no. And Catherine Hepburn is like, no, we, like, don't even know each other. Last night was a good time, but, like, we were swimming. It was whatever. So then she and Cary Grant walk into the room where she was supposed to marry this other dude and get remarried. (laughs) And the whole moral of the story is supposed to be that Catherine Hepburn was too uptight the first time she was married to Cary Grant and had to lose, learn to, like, not see everyone else as perfect. Oh, my God. Before uh-huh. she could then remarry Cary Grant. It was, it's a very weird movie. And they're, all, like, because it's all, like, high society, early Americas. Yeah. They speak in yachting terms. Yes. A lot as, like, their means of flirtation. But, like, between her, you know, Getting rid of her fiance, who clearly has a history with one of the female guests in her house, mm-hmm. 
and ending up with a childhood friend who she could never see properly before and then like fake splitting up and fake getting back together like Mm. not in any direct parallels this isn't a highwayman situation yeah but like I was I hated the Philadelphia story (laughs) like it's considered Uh. like and I love those actors but I was like the moral of this movie is atrocious I was not following this plot at all I do not understand why these two people should be together and yet the ending is supposed to be them resolving and like getting back together out of nowhere yeah and like the way all of that vibe just reminded me so strongly of this book and I'm sure you can see why (laughs) I guess I can uh okay offensiveness Uh, was there anything anti-feminist or offensive I thought there were a lot of descriptions about a woman's role in society and the importance of a good match and marriage Mm -hmm. that weren't critiqued by the author. Mm -hmm. Like to me, this read as more problematic in terms of like perceptions of a woman's role in society than most modern romance novels do, even when they're historicals. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't get that, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. Thank you for validating my experience. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, well, okay. So I'll get to the thing that I think is really offensive, which is that Maddie gets her butt pinched by a fan. Um, so she's playing in the the national championships and this guy approaches her and, and just, you know, grabs her, grabs her ass. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I, I didn't mind this, the scene very much because I, I do think it highlights what happens a lot, like in women's sports, you know, mm-hmm. even today. Um, sure. so there was that. Uh, and then I guess spoiler alert about what happened with Harrison's dad. So what happened? And I, I, I will say I, the, the book also probably got an extra point for me for this too, just for this mm-hmm. <laughs> is that, um, so Harrison was at the, the ball and he hears, he overhears Maddie basically saying, Oh, I, I don't, I would never marry Harrison. And he gets so depressed. He just leaves. He doesn't say goodbye to anyone. He just goes home. And when he gets home, he walks in on his father raping a maid. Mm-hmm. And what Harrison does is he calls the police right away. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> what? <laughs> we never see this in historical romance. I It was just so, I was, like, so proud of him, Lane. I don't know. I'm not kidding. I was like, This falls they're... into, like, I'm not going to congratulate you on being a decent person. I mean, yes, but also... I will simply say Benedict Bridgerton had better be taking notes for season season three. (laughs) That is all. Benedict Bridgerton is already such a different character. I have faith. (laughs) I'm just, just saying. Fair, fair, Um, fair. But yeah, no, that was definitely, I will say this, obviously trigger warning, but in terms of, position person in a position of authority taking advantage of a female staff member mm-hmm. like Harrison unquestionably handled it properly yeah and it so, wasn't offensive in terms of how Harrison acted or perceived it no but I mean it is obviously difficult to read yes of course uh okay sexiness lane 
Okay, so I complained that I felt like the whole book was tell, don't show. I will say the sex scenes were show, don't tell. <laughs> that wedding night was so sexy. It was. I it was, hated this book so much, Meg. I know, but anyway, I obviously did not hate it enough to um, overlook the wedding night. Also, the thing with the wedding night, too, is it it was it seemed very um, it started out very teen movie esque. Like it's like they're in the they go back to his mansion, but they don't actually go in the mansion. They go in like the pool house. Right. It's like the state barn. Uh, For me, I was imagining like um, like a like a really cool garage with like (laughs) Christmas lights strung around. Okay. So that's what I mean by like teen movie, you know? Yes. But then it turned into like wild, crazy sex. I think the sex was objectively good. Um, it, well, and it was also she very. Had been it engaged was also, to yeah. another guy that mm-hmm. morning mm-hmm. had been forced to marry him against her will. Mm hmm. When she tried to talk to him about what was going on, he wouldn't give her straight answers. I kind of, don't get me wrong, Joanna Shoup does a good job of making sure you are aware it is 100% consensual by the time the sex starts. Yes. But I didn't understand why she even forgave him to start having sex with him. Well, that's what I was going to say, too, is I did think the sex was very consent-focused. But... To a degree, like, okay, fine, you did the right thing in terms of emphasizing consent in literature. Mm-hmm. But if I'm sitting here going, I still don't think she should be having sex with you. Right. How sexy is it? Yeah. I did not have that issue. I okay. thought the wedding night was very hot. Um, and then I can't disagree with that statement. Yeah. Like, I can't. As much as you want to. I can tell you really yeah. want to. But... Really want to, but no, it was... <laughs> Congratulations on writing 10 good pages. And then later... So so Joanna Stroop does write very hot sex, and she usually writes more of it. In this book, there wasn't... There were only, like, two scenes, right, Lane? Yep. Two or three? Two. Two. And the second scene was... Primarily a, a BJ was a blowjob scene. <laughs> but it was a fade to black after a blowjob, and all I was thinking as I read it was Megan's gonna hate this. <laughs> you knew. You know me so well. I was, I was like, like, oh, I can't wait. I was like, okay. I was like, this is sexy. It's sexy. I can get into this. And then he's like, let's go up to the bedroom. And I'm like, okay, we're gonna get it on. End of chapter, guys. The next scene begins with them lying naked in each other's arms. <laughs> I was like, no, uh-uh, no, this is not. I have very strong feelings about about blowjobs in in the literature that I read. <laughs> Correct, as you should. I actually, I, Lane knows this. I actually stopped reading the Game of Thrones series because of a blowjob scene that I didn't like, and I was like, fuck this, I'm not reading this book. You should never read things you don't want to. That's yeah, true. and I was like, I'm not forcing myself to read this stuff that I'm not all that interested in and also has this problematic sex. I was like, no, thank you. We've talked a lot about how romance novels are meant to be focused on women's pleasure. It's a primarily female audience. It often puts women in positions of empowerment historically they wouldn't have been in their fantasies. And ultimately, while pleasuring a guy can be really, really hot, it needs to be done properly 
in the sense that like female readers don't end up feeling like the sexiest thing they can do is please a man. Right, right. I mean, that's which, like the Cliff Notes version that's synthesizing a lot of wider conversations we've had and we've had and will continue to have. Exactly. And so while I did think that for, okay, I guess I have to qualify it. For a blowjob scene, it was hot. I I always need that to be followed by something else, you know? Followed or preceded by something else. Like right, right, right. Part of a wider. It can it can be preceded. Pleasure. It can be preceded by something else. Yeah, <laughs> and by something. That's I mean, clarifying for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, female orgasm. Let's be honest. That's what I'm looking for. But I mean, I hate less than you do. Mm-hmm. Like to me, the one in the Beckwith Master book. Mm-hmm. I was totally fine with her getting him off and then leaving because I thought it was her exerting power sure but you can't even make that an excuse here it was just a fade to black for no reason yeah there was there was no reason to fade to black i i honestly don't know why she did it especially because she can write really sexy sex you know it's not like she's uncomfortable with it so i was um i was really cool. disappointed. and the best sex serves the plot right mm-hmm. so i wish the sex in the honeymoon sequence, mega wedding sequence had been preceded by more conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's clearly served a narrative purpose. It was like the scene of her forgiving him enough to actually give it a shot. Right. And then the blowjob was the scene where for the first time she initiated right. a sexual relationship or a sexual encounter between the two of them. And it was also sort of the first time she that they slept together after their first big fight. Right. I think, given what they thought about, it would have been narratively significant to make sure he was continuing to focus on her in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I'm saying is I think it would have served the plot in addition to being welcome. <laughs> yes. Not, look, it's not, not just what we want. It also serves the plot. Okay, guys? <laughs> <laughs> But it's I all but I do agree with Lane. <laughs> <laughs> but also we make ourselves laugh sometimes because it's like we all know what we're really there for. <laughs> anyway, I will say that as a as a Joanna Shoop, you know, general fan, I was disappointed in this book. Um I said this to Meg, honestly, listeners, this would have been a did not finish for me if I didn't feel a need to be ethical and honest on the podcast. Yeah. I'm not gonna claim I've read something I haven't, so I finished it, but I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to. <laughs> so I did. Anyway, if if you are if you're like a big Joanna Shoot fan and you really really want to read everything she's ever written, I mean you're gonna read it. But as an intro to Joanna Shoot, I would say do read something else first. Sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and check us out on Goodreads and Instagram at Podcasts.